know no one in Jerusalem. You have no protection. You know, have no home. You have nothing. In other words, safety is staying with your family, and safety is in numbers. Any normal 12-year-old would continue to walk. But Jesus is not normal, is he? He doesn't go. He doesn't travel with the family. And why is that? Because Jesus feels safe. He's not threatened. He's not worried. Jesus has another house and another father. In fact, you could say that Jesus actually has come home. He's not going home. He's as comfortable there in Jerusalem at the temple as anywhere. Who will protect Jesus, you may ask? Who will support him? Jesus would say, of course, my heavenly father, right? John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He's back where he belonged, really, in the presence and proximity of his heavenly father. So the family caravan travels, and they travel out a full day, and then it's time to set up camp, and they're calling for Jesus, and lo and behold, Jesus is not there. And panic begins to set in. Can you imagine that feeling that your child is a day's journey away? And what do they do? They, they can't head back then. They sleep, and they wake up immediately, and they head back the second day. And then the third day, they're searching for Jesus in Jerusalem. And it seems like it took them a little while until they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So the parents look at Jesus and they discover he's not hurt. He's not scared. He's perfectly fine. They're astonished, bewildered, and ticked off. Right? Listen to what Mary says. Your father and I have been looking for you, right? You ever do that? Your father and I have been looking for you. They, they rebuke Jesus. They rebuke him because he doesn't seem to mind that this is a problem. But what's even more astonishing is Jesus double rebukes them. Why were you looking for me? What do you mean, why were we looking for you? You're our son. Of course we'd be looking for you. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, we hear Jesus say the words, my father, my father's house, and we're used to this. But if we transport ourselves back to Jesus's time, this is a preposterous statement. No one has ever called God my father and the temple, my house. I mean, God, you could call him the father of the nation of Israel, but my father, my dad is essentially what Jesus is saying. Wouldn't It would be obvious that I would be in my dad's house. See, Jesus is saying, this is my house. I belong here. My address is right here. And I'm sure Mary and Joseph were saying, this is, this is God's house. And Jesus is saying, and I am the son of God. I must be in my father's house. Where 
else would I be, Jesus is saying. See, Jesus is telling his parents that my relationship with God, my father, trumps my relationship with you. I have been your child for 12 years, but I have been my heavenly father's son for all of eternity. Jesus is totally relaxed in the temple. Can you imagine him traipsing around for three days in the temple? Totally relaxed. You know, you have the, the Holy of Holies, right? Where once a year and never without blood, the high priest and the high priest alone, after uh, ceremonial washings and wearing the right clothes and everything, and they used to tie a rope around his ankle just in case he would be struck dead and they could pull him out. Jesus would walk into the Holy of Holies like he was walking into the kitchen to get some cereal. He wouldn't have a second thought because he belongs. He's totally different than everyone else. See, everyone else in the temple, even us, when we come into God's house, right? There's awe and reverence and maybe even a little fear. It's not our house. We can't say that. We're not comfortable there. We're not holy. We're sinful. If we lived back then, when we came into the house of God, we would not come without bringing an offering for our sin. Because back then we would realize that we don't belong. Tomorrow we're going uh, to my in-law's house. They live in Roanoke. And they have this great house on a mountain. I've been married uh, 28 years. And we've been going to our in-law's house, uh, usually Lee Ellen's parents, right after Christmas Day. And we'll spend three or four days there uh, up on the mountain. And I am blessed with some wonderful in-laws. They love me and welcome me and, and uh, shower me with love. And they have this fantastic house. And it's great to go there in the mountains. But even amidst my relationship with them, I understand something, which is the house is not mine, right? I don't stick my feet up on the table. I don't leave my stuff laying around. Even though they're my in-laws, my parents-in-law, I'm still a guest there, right? And after a while, it's time to leave. It's time to go home to where I belong. But it's very different when I go visit my mother in Oklahoma. Even though I didn't grow up in the house where she lives, when I go in there, I put my feet up on the table, right? I leave my stuff around. Why? Because I'm home in my parents' house. See, Jesus is telling his parents and us, this is who I am. We all attach an identity to Jesus. So what's yours? He's a nice guy. He's a teacher. He's more like the tooth fairy. He kind of shows up whenever you need something. We all tend to keep him in a box. But Jesus will have none of it. And so we must recognize the identity that he assigns himself. He does not simply exist for you and me. He's much bigger. We must believe his identity and change our expectations of who he is and what he can do, for he is God's son.
Well, we've spoken of his identity. Let's talk about his mission. What's Jesus doing? I mean, why did Jesus stay back in the first place? Was he just lonely for home? No, I think he had a bigger purpose for what he's doing. See, we see after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. There were several places where teachers met, and and many scholars believe that uh, they're talking here about a, a central court where the Sanhedrin would actually meet. And there would be times when it would be public and open, especially around a feast time like this, where they would, it would be kind of like a free school, if you will. And there were three semicircular rows of the Sanhedrin. And they were, the, peop, the Sanhedrin who sat in it were organized according to their wisdom. So the least wise were the furthest out, the outer semicircular row, and then the next and then the third, and then a couple people would get up, and they would go ahead, and they would ask questions to specific people, and they would give answers, and the people would sit at the feet before the Sanhedrin, and they would listen. They wouldn't talk. They would listen, but yet we see something very different. Jesus is not sitting before the teachers. He's sitting among the teachers, and Jesus is not quiet. He's asking questions, and he is giving answers as well. What that means is that Jesus, at some point, has been invited to sit with them in one of these rows and to converse with them. And why have they done that? Because they are amazed at his understanding and answers. No, the training of a rabbi actually began at age 12. And if you had the stuff to become a rabbi, and it would be age 12 to age 30. It was a, at a minimum, you had already memorized the five books of the Torah at age 12. In other words, just knowing the Bible wasn't that big a deal. So if they're amazed at his understanding and answers, that shows how far Jesus is above people at his age. How did Jesus know so much? He had no formal education. Well, the answer, of course, is obvious, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, the Bible says, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus has come to earth to show us the Father. He said in Matthew eleven twenty seven, all things have been committed to be me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Jesus has come to reveal the father and he's doing that in his teaching. Now, part of my job is I conduct funerals. And I've conducted funerals for people that I don't know. And I've conducted funerals for people that I know well. And there's a big difference in how I conduct the funeral and how I communicate about that person. See, when I'm communicating about someone that I know well, I'm able to communicate with firsthand knowledge. People can see that I had a relationship with them. 
See, I think that's why these rabbis, the Sanhedrin, are so amazed with Jesus, because Jesus is talking about his father, the one that he has known from eternity. Jesus came to reveal the father in his teaching and in his person. Philip said to Jesus in John 14, 8, show us the father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? See, all of the father is living in Jesus. Jesus is not one third of God. Jesus is all of God. All of the Father is living in Jesus. And yet Jesus is his own person. How does that work? I have no idea. Jesus has come to reveal the Father, but Jesus has also come to bring us to the Father. He said in John 14, 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way where I am going. And Thomas said, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, what Jesus is saying to us is the comfort that I feel in the presence of my Father, in his house, I have come to make you feel that comfort too. I have come to take you from being enemies of God to being children of God through my very life given on the cross, that becomes the way of holiness for you. Jesus is the way. Jesus is communicating to us that we too can be children of God through him. That's what he's come to do. John 1.12 says, and, But to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God not born of human decision or husband's will or of natural means, but of God. I just conclude with these thoughts. That if you want to know the Father, look to Jesus. If you want to be reconciled to the Father, for him to become your Father, trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Jesus came to bring us to the Father, that we would be comfortable in the house of God, and we would call God our dad, too. Jesus is God's son, and those who believe in him can be sons and daughters, too. This is the promise of Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that by your blood, you have sent your Holy Spirit into our hearts, the Spirit that calls out, Abba, Father, since we are God's children. God, help us to believe and to rest in our inheritance. And Father, we look forward to seeing you 
face to face, not simply by faith, but by sight. Lord, give us the grace to continue to believe and to seek you. And we pray all of this.